Heavenly Father, we come before you with grateful hearts, acknowledging your faithfulness and your provision for us and our church. You have sustained us through the ups and downs of life, and we are very thankful for that and thankful for your abundant blessings. And so, God, we ask that you bless the offering that we present to you today, that it may be used for your kingdom and for supporting the things that reflect your love and compassion. We pray that our offerings may be given joyfully and generously, reflecting the love that you have first shown us. We trust in your faithfulness, knowing that you will continue to provide for all of our needs according to the riches of your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Roscoe. And good morning, everybody. Oh, decent, decent. Good. (laughs) Yeah, if we haven't met yet, my name's Tim. I'm one of our English pastors here at Edmonton Chinese Alliance Church. And welcome. We're so glad to have you here. It's so nice to see all of your lovely faces here today. I'm glad you could join us here in this. Yeah, I agree with Roscoe. It's strange. It's like the middle of February. Very strange. It's going by quick. So yeah, welcome. We're glad to have you all here, and we're excited to continue on in our series in the book of Colossians, as we've been doing for the last little bit. Have you noticed something about people, about us humans, is we love to, like, chase things. Like, not, like, not literally running, but, like, we love to, like, look for the next great thing. And I don't know what that is for you. Like, maybe it's, like, you want the new iPhone, even though your old iPhone's pretty much the same thing, right? Or like, you're like, you're just chasing the next thing. Maybe it's like a status thing or you're chasing like a salary thing or a job or something. And we're always chasing these things. And maybe you've noticed it's a never-ending search. Like often we really want something, like I really want this new iPad or something and I get it and then my life doesn't really change. And the next week I'm just looking for the next thing. You know what I mean? I'm sure that we can all relate to this idea that that we always want something else. And that's kind of what's going on in our passage that we're going to be looking at in the book of Colossians, is that the people there, the church in that city back then, they, they were always looking for something different, and they had these pressures on them, and they were wandering away from Jesus. And, and they were prone to wander, prone to look for things. So that's kind of what we're looking at here today, so you can keep that image in mind. So yeah, we'll just start off by reading our passage here today, and I'll kind of get into explaining it and the context of it after, but I'll just read out. It's Colossians 2, verses 6 to 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self rule. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God, 
who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The word of the Lord. So that was a lot of verses there. Hey, we'll really pull this apart. And this is a really, really important book passage in the book of Colossians. So to kind of give us some context, remind us what's going on, this is a letter that was written by a guy named Paul, and he's writing to a church in a city called Colossae, and it was written a long time ago in a city far away, so we kind of have to remember that while we read it to actually understand what's going on. And the reason we're excited to be doing this series on the book of Colossians is that it really centers us on Jesus. So maybe here you've been a Christian for a long time, and this is so valuable, isn't it, to recenter on Jesus? Or maybe you're just starting to like ask questions about Jesus, you're curious about Jesus, and this is a really great book for us here today. Because that's kind of what this book is about, is Paul is trying to recenter this church on Jesus, because he knows that they face pressures, he knows that they are prone to wander. So back in that day, we know that um, the people around them, they would have all worshipped lots of different idols and pagan gods and stuff like that. They had like temple worship. And basically the idea back then was to follow as many religions as you could, worship as many idols as you could, and it just became a checklist. It was like, okay, hopefully, hopefully if I do all of these things, then nothing bad will happen to me. That was kind of like the societal norm back then. But of course, Jesus comes. He says, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We, we can only follow Jesus. So the Christians are just following one God, and that's kind of where these pressures come in. If something bad happens to the city, well, it must be the Christians' fault, right? Because they're not following all of these gods. They're not checking all of these boxes. So that's one of the issues of the pressures that they're facing, and also just their natural humanness. They're prone to wander. They're, they want something else. They're always looking for something else, kind of like I think we all have this in our hearts. And in this book, particularly in this passage today, Paul is addressing some false teachings that this church has been hearing. So some teachers that aren't great are coming to this church and they're trying to persuade them to follow things other than Jesus or at least to add things to their worship. And Paul is trying to discourage that. He's saying, no, 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 don't keep reaching out for more spirituality. Don't, don't try to add to your faith. Just follow Jesus. And that's what this passage is all about. So we'll kind of jump into the first part here. And this is, as I said, this whole passage is really important. You could almost say it's kind of the central part of the book of Colossians. And some would argue that 6 and 7 here is almost like a thesis to the book. He's saying, continue in Jesus. So remember the context of what's going on. And Paul, and I love the word there where he says, just as you received Christ. Just as you received him. And this can be a good reminder for us. Remember the first time you encountered Jesus? Maybe, maybe when you gave your life to Jesus? Remember that. Don't add to your faith. Don't, don't confuse things. Don't overcomplicate things. It's not like there's this greater 
spiritual way. It's not like there's anything that you can add, any other religion, anything like that. Remember when you first started following Jesus, continue in that. Continue in Jesus. And that's kind of what keeps being unraveled in this passage. Don't keep adding. Don't keep looking. Stay in Jesus just as you started following him, as you heard from the beginning. And then Paul kind of takes us on, you can kind of think of it as like a walk with the underlined words here. He takes us on a walk through some different metaphors of what it means to follow Jesus. So we can kind of, it's for all you like visual people, first you can picture a tree. He says, rooted, rooted in Christ, rooted in Jesus, stay rooted in Jesus. And then the next thing on our walk, you can see a building. He says, built up built up in Jesus. All of you should be built in Jesus. And then he uses the word strengthened. And I think a better word probably to translate here from the Greek would be more like affirmed or verified. You can, the picture, for all you visual people again, you can kind of see like a stamp of approval. That's what he's talking about here, that that you can be strengthened, you can be approved, you are verified in your faith. Because, of course, they would have been asking that, right? Like, okay, well, I just, I just follow one God. I just follow Jesus. Like, is that enough? And, of course, Paul is saying, yes, that is more than enough. You are verified in your salvation. You can be confident that you are saved. There's nothing else you have to look for when you have Jesus. And then he says, overflowing. And, of course, we can get that picture of a cup that's just literally overflowing with water. And he says, overflowing with thankfulness. Thankfulness. I think that's a fitting word for these people too, right? Like they, they have Jesus, but they're kind of looking elsewhere, right? And he's saying, no, what are you doing? You should be literally overflowing with thankfulness that you have Jesus. Jesus is more than enough. He is the greatest. He is amazing. And Paul's going to be getting into that further, but we should be overflowing with thankfulness. We should not be ungrateful for Jesus. So these are kind of like the walk of metaphors that Paul has taken us on. Stay strong in Jesus and nothing else. Be filled with him. Be rooted in him. Be built up in him. Be confident in Jesus. And then verse 8 is really important to kind of understand what's going on in this passage. So I'll just read it out again. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So Paul, he's warning this church about false teachers, about like these, these teachings, these, these rumors, these, these things that are going on that aren't about Jesus, that aren't actually good for the church. So what, what is that? What are these teachings that are going on in the church? Because it seems like he's addressing something specifically, right? And he says that they're hollow and deceptive. And when I hear that, I kind of picture like us, like when we're reaching for that next thing, we're, we have this desire, we want something, and then we get it, and it looks good on the outside, right? But it's kind of hollow. Like your life is still empty. You're still seeking for something else after that. And that's like these teachings, they're hollow, they're deceptive, they're even dangerous. They're being pressured to find fulfillment in something other than Jesus. So what were these things? So we know for sure that there was two, and we'll kind of get into that throughout the passage. It'll make some more sense to you. But the first false teaching was that Christians, like people would come along, they'd say, okay, you're a Christian. Okay, cool, 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 that's good. 
But if you really want to like notch up your faith, you want to like be a little bit better, then you should also still do the Jewish practices. You should follow the Jewish law. And of course, Paul's saying, no, 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 you've moved past that. You don't have to do that. But they were being pressured to. And if you're not familiar, first of all, that's super fair if you're not familiar with that. But it's kind of stuff like they would have not eaten certain things. They would have been kosher. They would have been circumcised, as we're going to get into later in the passage. And it's this false teaching that you need to do more to be spiritual, if that makes sense, to get closer to God. And this is a false teaching. Paul's saying, no. And then the other thing, of course, he talks about these elemental spiritual practices. That sounds like, ooh, right? These elemental spiritual forces. So we know, of course, that they worshipped all of these pagan gods and idols and went to temples and all of these things. And he uses the word elemental. And literally, the people, they would have worshipped, like, the elements, like earth, water, fire, sky. They would have, like, worshipped those things. They would have worshipped planets. They would have worshipped all of these things. And the unfortunate thing is that this church was really tempted by it. They were tempted. They were, they were being pressured. Maybe they were afraid for their lives or something. They were being pushed to worship these things. And Paul is encouraging them. He's saying, no, don't be tempted. Don't give in to these pressures. Ignore these things. And he's actually encouraging them, like, you have moved past these things. You have Jesus. Instead of looking somewhere else for spirituality or God or anything like that, why don't you step further into Jesus? Why don't you step further into your faith? Don't wander. You already have the best. And as I prepare this, like, that's convicting for us all, I think, like in the church especially. Like we are still so prone to wander. And I think of us getting caught up on things even. Like he talks about human tradition and we get caught up in that, don't we? Like as not just our church, but the church as a whole, I think we can get so caught up in these things. We can get caught up in like a specific program. We've always done it this way. It must be the best. Instead of asking where is Jesus leading us? What glorifies him? And we can get really caught up in these things. And I think it's so important that we keep this in mind. That we are not bound to tradition or forces or anything like that. But we are free in Jesus. And hopefully that speaks to us as a church and to you all as individuals as well. That we are free in Christ. And we'll keep looking at what that means here today. So let's get into the next part of the passage here. And this part, I love this. This is so beautiful because Paul, he's arguing, you should only follow Jesus. And here he explains why. Why? And maybe you're asking that, like, why? Why Jesus alone? Why should we just follow Jesus? And he asks, answers that question here. And I'll just read out the beginning of it. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Why should you follow Jesus alone? And he lists these things, that in Jesus, the fullness of God is found. Especially written to these people who are like looking elsewhere for God. He's saying, no, when you look at Jesus, you see all of God. There's nothing else. There's not like more of God somewhere else. It is all in Jesus. The fullness of the deity, the fullness of the God is in Jesus. 
We only need to look to him. And I love that word fullness, right? Like he's really like nailing in that point there, the fullness of God. Don't look anywhere else. And then again, he brings up that word fullness, kind of, kind of driving in the same, the same idea here that in Jesus, you, we Christians, if you follow Jesus, you have been brought to fullness. Again, he's really driving this point. Why would you look anywhere else? If you follow Jesus, you have been brought to fullness. It's not like he brings you halfway and then, okay, I better look over here and over here for more spiritual things. No, Jesus brings us to fullness. He is all that we need. When we follow Jesus, nothing is held back from us. Nothing is kept from us. There is nothing else. It's not like there's this like secret spiritual truth. You know what I mean? It's all found in Jesus. And this is, again, like so applicable to us. I think maybe we don't try to find necessarily like religion or stuff like that the same way they did back then. But I think we do try to find fulfillment in things, right? I know I do. Like we we try to find fulfillment in the things around us, maybe the people around us. And it's not bad to like enjoy the people around you and stuff like that. But I think what's really fulfilling your heart and I'm sure many of you have found that, that often it feels like it's lacking. But when I think of Jesus and I think, yes, he has brought me to fullness. He has brought me to a place where I am fulfilled. He has brought me to a place where I am content because I know I have him and he has me. And Paul, he keeps writing Christ's resume basically here, and it's just beautiful. It says he is the head over every power and authority. Paul's saying, hey guys, hey, you guys remember those like spiritual things that you were tempted to pursue? Remember those things you were tempted by? Yeah, Jesus is over all of those things. Jesus, he's greater than all of those things. He's supreme over all of these things. Those things you're tempted by, those, those spiritual ventures, all that he's saying to them, those are nothing. Those are nothing. Don't look elsewhere than Jesus. Jesus alone is the one that we need. Nothing else. And it's not like, he's kind of saying here, like, it's not even just that you shouldn't look elsewhere, but it's that there is nothing else. Like, nothing else is like Jesus. He is the head. He is above all things. He is supreme over all things. He's greater, but not just that. He's, he's completely different. He's completely different. He's a whole new category. Jesus is different. And here he says head. And basically the fact that he's the head over these things means that he has no opposition. None compared to him. Jesus is the king of kings. He has no rivals. Though many might oppose Jesus, he has no true opposition he is greater. He is the King of kings. This is the great Lord that we serve. This is why we're gathered here today. He is above all, and He is worthy of all of our praise. None compare to Him. All the powerful structures that maybe they feared back then, maybe ancient, maybe modern even, maybe tangible or spiritual, none of them compare to Jesus. He is above all things, and that should give us great comfort knowing that he is with us and we are with him. And this is like a beautiful passage, like that always hits me. And then I think it's funny, Paul 
starts talking about circumcision, it kind of like, I don't know, it feels like he takes a bit of a turn there, right? But it actually really fits. So let's get into that. So this is part of how we know that the false teachers were teaching that the Christians still need to follow the old Jewish traditions to kind of be like better Christians, you know? So this is part of what um, they were teaching, the false teachers. But Jesus changed all this. Jesus, he said, he fulfilled the law, and he actually created a much better way. It's not like he just threw away the law, but he actually created something much better for us. So we'll kind of dig into this. What, what is he talking about here? So when you follow Jesus, it's something much greater. Like you could think about like circumcision, it's not, when we follow Jesus, it's not just a piece of our body that's changed, but it is the whole of you. It's something much greater. It draws us into a greater life where we're actually close to God. When we follow Jesus, it's, it's much greater than the old ways because all of you is completely and thoroughly transformed. You are saved to your core. And then he talks about baptism, and baptism is kind of symbolic of like this new circumcision, this new like metaphor and spiritual circumcision, if that makes sense. So he talks about baptism. If you're not familiar, baptism is an event where we are basically dipped in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the symbolism behind it is that you go into the water, and the idea, and we'll get into this further, but the idea is that you die with Jesus and die to your old self, and that you are raised in life with Jesus. That's the symbolism. That's why we go under the water. Um, so that's kind of what he's talking about here, that you guys, you don't need to go under this old procedure because you have been completely changed by Jesus. It's so much better. It's so much richer. Your old self is gone. You are a new creation. You are no longer a slave to sin or to darkness. You are redeemed. You are redeemed. You are alive in Jesus. And I love the language again. He says whole, your whole self. Again, that that, that idea that there's nowhere else to look. There's nothing else for us. Our whole self has changed. Again, it's not like half of us has changed and then we need to look elsewhere. In Jesus, all of us is changed. We find all that we need and then some in Jesus. There's nothing else to look for. So let's jump into the last part of our passage here. And these are verses I've always loved. I hope that you enjoy them as well. And it gets kind of ironic here because we know that Jesus, he gives us life, right? Jesus, he gives us life. He fills us with life. But how does he do that? Jesus gives us life by dying on the cross. That's why we have crosses all over the church, to remember that, to know that. But that sounds ironic, right? Like Jesus died and that's how we got life. So we'll get into that. So verse 14 here. It explains that Jesus canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness that stood against us and condemned us, and he nailed it to the cross. So what does that mean? Because that's kind of, that, that sounds heavy, right? And it is. So in the Old Testament, there was this law. There was this law. Before Jesus came, there was this law, and, and people were expected to follow these rules. And the issue with that is that we are not very good at being obedient, right? Like, and we're really not good at being righteous. 
Like I feel like we're, we're, we're prone to wander. We're also prone to make mistakes, to, to sin, to hurt other people, to disobey God. Maybe we're prone to do these things. So of course that means we broke this law. And that's kind of the human predicament leading up to Jesus is, oh no, we broke this law. And of course, when you break a law, there's, there's punishments for that. That's kind of the human predicament. That's, that's our issue. There's, there's punishments. That's what he's talking about, this, this legal indebtedness. It's standing against us. It's against us because it declares us as guilty. We're declared as guilty according to that law. That's, that's not good because that means we actually deserve punishment. That's the issue here. So what happens, and this is what Paul's explaining here, What happens is that Jesus comes and he cancels the debt against you. Jesus comes along and he says, hey, those charges that are against you, I'm canceling them and I'm taking them on for myself. That's what Jesus does. That's, that's the story. Well, that's why we get excited reading about this because we were declared guilty, but Jesus took those charges away. And now in the eyes of God, we are actually seen as righteous. Not that we deserve it, not that we actually are, but Jesus took on our sin. Notice it says, nailed it to the cross. Of course, he was the one nailed to the cross. It's saying that he became sin. That he became guilty even though he was not that he would take our punishment in our place. That he would actually say, you know what, you do deserve death, but instead I'm going to take it and I'm going to give you life. That's what Jesus does. What a radical love. Like when I, when I really dwell on that, like it's almost disturbing, that kind of love. And yet it is so, so wonderful that our Jesus, he loves us so much that he would take our place, that he would take our punishment, that he would give us life instead of the death and the punishment that we actually earn, that we deserve. And we are no longer seen as guilty in God's eyes. And it's a really powerful passage. And, it, and thinking back to those false teachers that were teaching them these false things, that really puts them in their place, doesn't it? They're saying like, Christians, you need to do more. You need to like do more to get closer to God. No, Jesus has done it all. Jesus has justified us. He's redeemed us. We we can be in relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. It's all about Jesus. And then we'll jump into verse 15. It explains that Jesus, he disarmed the powers and authorities, that he even made a public spectacle of them and triumphed over them by the cross. It says public spectacle. That's something that in that time the Roman government, they would have done. Like when they defeated an enemy, they would have like made a very public scene. They would have been like showed it off kind of. And that's, that's a language that Paul is drawing from here. And here, I think Paul is basically saying, hey guys, hey, you remember all those powers that you were tempted by? Remember all those things that you were looking away from Jesus and you were looking to all of these maybe spiritual things? Remember those false gods? Remember maybe the literal government structures that you feared? Remember the evil forces around you in the world? Remember all of those things? Yes, Jesus has disarmed and even humiliated them by the cross. 
You see, on the cross, Jesus wins every victory. He wins the victory over evil and he proves that he is the king. And again, this is like very ironic, right? The cross, like that seems like defeat. He was killed. That seems like he lost. But the irony is that he won every victory on that cross. And he became king. And we can think about the symbolism if you're familiar with the story. What was on the head of Jesus? It was a crown of thorns. What was written above his head? It said, king of the Jews. That seemed like mockery. It seemed like defeat. But really, it was ironically true. He became the king. He showed that he was the king, that he was above all things, that he was supreme over all things. He defeated evil on that cross. You see, the cross, it really exposed the limits of power of everything other than himself. It exposed the limits of the power of evil. That he actually defeated these things on the cross. Maybe, maybe especially thinking back then in that day, they, they would have really feared like social institutions and the government and leaders and stuff like that. But Jesus is the king over those things. They have no power. Christ has defeated all that stood against. And think of the Colossians, those people back then when this letter was written. And the pressures for them to follow these other religions, they would have been very strong. And some of them maybe even would have feared for their lives. And the amazing thing, and I think the encouragement for these people with this letter is that even those who threaten death on you have no real power because Jesus has defeated death and he rose again and he will raise us all with him. The cross is a symbol of great victory. And it means that we don't have to be afraid. Darkness, it fades in the name of Jesus. So looking over this passage, I want to ask us here today, what are those things in your life? Those things that you maybe pursue? Those things that you desire, those things that you, you're really reaching for right now, you're wanting right now that aren't Jesus. What do you think about that? Or at least what are the things that you're kind of putting in the place of where Jesus should be in your life? What are you seeking? What do you desire? And I encourage this. I hope something came to mind. Maybe you can continue to reflect on this. What is our true desire? And I encourage us as a church family, even today, to let go of those things, to realize that Jesus is supreme over all, that Jesus is all that we need. And as a church, I, it excites me that we can look to him who is above all things. We can look to him who has won every victory, who no one stands against. So friends, let's put our trust in Jesus, in this king that we know has no rivals. Christ is victorious. 
And one last thing, as we look at that verse in 15, it, it's quite a profound statement, isn't it? That he, he disarmed these powers and authorities. And even in 14, that, that he took away these things that condemned us. I think sometimes the church, again, not just us, but, but I think people in the church can still live lives that are so full of shame. Lives that maybe don't feel free from condemnation. Maybe you're here today and you've been feeling that. This is resonating with you, that you feel shame. Maybe it's like something you did. You're being accused. You feel these accusations against you, like, I'm not good enough, stuff like that. And maybe this shame is really heavy on you here today. And I want to encourage us by this passage and knowing that Jesus took away the charges against us. And it doesn't mean that we can just sin. That's not good. We still have to repent. We still have to live upright lives. But it means that if you're hearing shame and accusations, it's not from God. And whoever it is from has no power because of the cross. There is freedom for you in Jesus. There is life for you in Jesus. He sets the captives free because there is no condemnation. These accusations can be strong, but they have no real power and have been defeated by the cross. We are alive and, alive and redeemed in Jesus. Friends, this is worthy of celebration, right? Like, this is exciting. Jesus, he, he has defeated these things that are against him. So I encourage us as a church, what would it look like if we lived in this victory? If we lived in the victory of Jesus on the cross? Let's stop looking around for, for other things than Jesus. And let's rest in the presence of Jesus in his victory. Church, we need a clear vision of Jesus. We will not find a better author, a better leader. Let's follow Christ alone, who is above all things, who is greater than all things, who is the King of kings. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you that you are the King of kings. And we declare your victory over our lives here today. We declare your victory over the church here today. That you would be leading us and guiding us. That we would know you more and more. We praise you, Jesus, as you alone are worthy of our praise. In your precious name, amen. So we have a few minutes and if you've been with us before, maybe you know, something we like to do is to have breakout rooms. So basically that means is you can just gather with a few people around you and you can just discuss, maybe discuss what's impacted you and we'll have a couple of questions up and then I'll come back up and we'll do communion together. So I encourage you, find those around you and just reflect on what you've heard today.
Thanks, Ed. Perfect. Yeah, I'll just draw you back here. And at this part in our service, and I think it's such a perfect response for us to that message, to that passage, we want to take part in communion. So if you grabbed one of these cups, and if you missed and did not get one, feel free to raise your hand, and yes, one will be brought to you. So yeah, if you don't know what communion is, it's, it's this time where we remember the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. So all that we've been talking about today, and, and it's a symbolic thing, like there's a, a wafer of bread is the idea, and that, that resembles Christ's body, and, and the cup resembles his blood. And that sounds very strange, but it's a way that we can remember and that we can participate in these things with Jesus. And this, this meal, this Lord's Supper, it has many different meanings. And a central meaning, and my hope for us here today, is that it is a time where we encounter God. And more than that, I think it's a time where we actually proclaim this victory of the cross that we've been learning about here today. So I'm very excited to yeah, partake with you all today as we, as we participate with Jesus in the cross, in the resurrection, and as we proclaim this victory here today. So let me pray. Jesus, we thank you. And we recognize your sacrifice. And we pray that we would encounter you, that we would know you, and we proclaim your victory on the cross, that you have defeated those things that are against you, and you have set us free. You've forgiven our sins, and we worship you, Jesus. Would we know you more here today? So church, if you have one of these, you can open it up, the top layer, and we can just break this wafer and let's partake together. And maybe today during the sermon or the discussion, like maybe there's been something you've realized, you know what, this has been taking priority in my life ahead of Jesus, or I've been reaching for this thing instead of Jesus, and now is a great time for us to lay those things down, even at the foot of the cross. Lay those things down and take up this life that Jesus offers us here today. So I'll pray again. Jesus, we praise your name, and we do. We, we turn away from those things that keep us from you, and Jesus, it is our desire that we would have more of you that we would know you more, that we would encounter you in this space today. Would your sacrifice and your victory be very real in our lives? Let's partake together. Pastor Tim for that message. Um, there was a lot in that passage, a lot. Talked about the greatness of God, um, thankfulness in our hearts, um, what Christ did for us on the cross, how we can respond. Um, so, you know, I, I hope that um, we might 
let uh, some of those lessons or things you've been thinking about color our conversation with our family and our friends um, as we continue today. Um, we were talking in our discussion group that, uh, you know, how can we make Christ the priority or Jesus the priority? And um, I think for me, a lot of it is in the everyday decisions we make, you know, the choices, um, you know, even the thoughts that come to your head when you're driving to work, you know, when you're, when you're seeing um, a person at work, uh, you're, you know, or um, the people you encounter. And, and the little things, I think, um, choosing Christ every time um, uh, is a way for me to, to do that and maybe you can reflect on how you can do that uh, this week respond with uh, in Christ alone No guilt in life, 
As a benediction today, I want to read for you and bless you with a passage in Romans 15, and it says this, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's been such a joy to worship here with you today, and let's go out and live in this victory of Jesus. We'll see you all next week.